0: Good morning, Your Honors. Um, I'm May Yang.
1: Could you just pull that microphone just a little bit closer to you? Thank you.
0: Um, I'm May Yang. I'm attorney for Christine Norgren, who's seated in the second row um, uh, behind the counsel's table there, along with Mr. Mitchell R. Hadler, who is another uh, another attorney assisting in this case. Now, the appellant, Christine Norgren is here to address and uh, seek substantive relief for federal claims. These are civil and constitutional violations um, allegedly perpetrated by the appellees against her, which she did not pursue in the state court proceedings. Now, as the appeal issues have been fairly presented in the uh, appellant's principal and reply brief, I want to touch on three main topics. Uh, uh, today. That is that, number one, there was a timely notice of appeal in this case. Number two, the federal district court has subject matter matter jurisdiction, and the Rooker-Feldman doctrine does not apply in this case. And the appellant has brought plausible claims that withstand a Rule 12b, motion to dismiss. Now, federal uh, rule of appellate procedure four provides that a party who timely file files a federal rule of civil procedure 59e motion which tolls the, the clock for a timely appeal then the t- time to appeal then the time to appeal time to file appeal runs for all parties from the entry of the order disposing of the last such remaining motion.
2: But the, the problem with that is, is if you read Judge Tunheim's order, Judge Thunheim was clear that this was an improper Rule 59 E motion because it asked for amendment of the complaint, which you can't do in a Rule 59, and it didn't comply with the local rules. So what do we do with the fact that it really wasn't? We, we looked at the substance. What, what do we do with the fact that it really wasn't a Rule 59?
0: Well, Your Honor, um, I pointed out to the holding in the BBCA versus United States case where the holding states that the substance of a motion rather than the form of a motion is controlling. And also in that case, it says that a motion questioning the correctness of a judgment is functionally a Rule
2: 59E motion. But, But again, I think that Judge Thunheim, I mean, just on the plain language of his order, Disagrees with you. He, he cited that substance rules, I recall, and said, "I think the substance of this is that it's an improper motion for reconsideration, not a Rule 59e."
0: Um, I would beg to differ, Your Honor. Um, in his order, the the court and the court brought up um, for the first time the um, the general rule that a person has no claim for civil liability based on the Fifth Amendment's uh, uh, guarantee against self. Uh, incrimination, incriminating statements unless the compelled statements were admitted against her in the criminal, uh, in a criminal case. I, um, I had addressed that squarely in in the Rule 59 motion. In addition, the court also brought up the argument that purportedly the uh, plaintiff's Fifth Amendment rights had not been violated because she had not um, invoked her uh, Fifth Amendment uh, right, given that it's not self-executing. I also squarely address that the rule, um, the function of a Rule 59e e motion is to uh, is to correct manifest errors of law and fact, which is what I, uh, which is what the appellant did in her motion, Rule um, Rule 59e. E. ask.
2: Oh, go ahead. But oh, I was what, just gonna, go ahead.
0: Go, go ahead. <laughs> uh, rule
2: six. Rule sixty B. I just want to. I want to ask whether or not you you covered the rule sixty B. Um, I didn't see you. Um, that's the other option for a tolling motion. I don't hear you saying that it's a rule sixty B. I didn't see you arguing it was a rule sixty B. This seems to be all about rule fifty nine. Am I right? Correct. Okay.
1: What relief did you seek in rule fifty in your rule fifty nine e motion? Uh, excuse.
0: Excuse me, rule fifty, or did you say fifty nine?
1: I said fifty nine e
0: what what relief did I seek? well, i I addressed the manifest errors that the court um, had uh, issued in that in its order, and so I sought to um, again correct those errors and and, and that is the proper um, substance to bring uh, to bring a rule fifty nine e. Did you seek to amend your complaint? I sought to amend. I sought to amend the judgment of the uh, that was issued on September first, twenty twenty one. Thank you. Okay, the, uh, the second issue that that I want to address today is the fact that the federal court um, does have subject matter jurisdiction, and the Rooker-Feldman doctrine does not apply. Now, there must be a twofold inquiry to determine whether the Rooker-Feldman Doctrine applies in the case. Number one, you have to inquire whether the federal plaintiff seeks to overturn or set aside the state court judgment. And number two, whether the federal plaintiff presents an independent claim. Now, prior to the Exxon ExxonMobil Corporation versus Saudi Basic Industry, uh, Industries Corp case, the inquiry was limited to the first prong meaning whether the plaintiff had sought to overturn the state court judgment however the exxon case has expanded the inquiry to include a second prong which is to analyze whether the plaintiff sought um, an independent claim now an independent claim um, also analyzes whether the, uh, whether, uh, the sought, uh, whether the plaintiff sought whether the plaintiff sought Different, a uh, remedy or relief. Now, in the in in the in our in the case, we cited to the Gilen case, which says that which holds that the Rooker Feldman only applies when the state court considers and rejects federal claims on their
2: merits. Council, now, can I ask you about the the the, the termination of parental rights order itself? I, I do think there's some different things going on here. You might be right about the Rooker Feldman. Um, to the extent. She, are you are you challenging the termination of parental rights order at all in federal court?
0: No, you, you're, no Your Honor, we're not we're not asking to have the children not asking for her to regain custody of the children, no. We're asking to vindicate her civil and constitutional federal rights.
2: And so what, what remedy are you asking for? Are you asking for money damages then? Correct correct. But money. not but not injunctive relief of any kind? No. Okay.
0: Okay. Now uh, now again. Okay. I I believe that uh that I've addressed that that again she's seeking independent claims um that she's not seeking to overturn the state uh, state court uh, judgment. Um, I I I do want to add that um the the NC case points out that a plaintiff cannot seek a claim for civil liability based on the Fifth Amendment, as there was no self-incriminating statements used against her in the criminal law. So, uh, even if an argument could be made that she presented um, constitutional uh, uh, constitutional um, claims in the state court, NC court at the NC case states that she could not have in addition she had no opportunity to be heard um, it's we've made it clear that she her counsel did not provide her or prize her or inform her that her fifth amendment rights were violated we've also made it clear that she was not aware until january 2018th that her her fifth fifth amendment rights were violated and so she could have not timely appealed the october 2017 order for, for the termination of her parental rights any time prior to when she filed her motion her motion to vacate the, the termination orders.
3: What specifically was she asked to say or do that would violate her Fifth Amendment rights?
0: Well under um, under the under state state law, um, she her Fifth Amendment right, was violated under the penalty um, penalty uh, uh, clause in the Fifth Amendment, penalty exceptions under the Fifth Amendment uh, jurisprudence, where it says that if the court, if the state compels her to, um, Violate her Fifth Amendment rights or make self-incriminating statements against her will, where they impose a potent sanction. And in this case, they uh, they stated that unless she confessed to, um, to uh, allegations of abuse, she would never see her children again. So in that instance, um, although she never made any self-incriminating statements under under the, that penalty exception, the court, uh, the state, did violate her Fifth Amendment uh, Amendment
3: rights. Well, I thought that what the state was asking her to do was to engage in counseling, which would include an apology. But I do not understand that they t- said that she had to admit to child abuse. Where, where do we find that in the record, that they, they compelled child abuse? Um,
0: well, Your Honor, I... Um, in, in her uh, first amendment, um, excuse me. In her first um, amended complaint, uh, I do uh, we do include in there the uh, partial transcripts from the court proceedings in which uh, the Appelli social worker Libra, uh, excuse me, the 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 Nystrum therapist Rochelle Anderson clearly states that. Uh, the appellate social worker Libra induced her, directed her to um, have Nordgren admit to child abuse. It's very clear, and 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 in the transcripts, oh,
1: that, that's merely an allegation. And the question is, at this stage of the proceedings, the question I've got is: is is there anything supporting it in the record at all?
0: Uh, I mean, as um, you know, we have included um, that that. That will bear out in in the evidence to to come. But uh, we stated in the our, uh, in our oral argument before the district court that she will testify to the fact that for eleven for approximately uh, eleven weeks, um, when she was uh, in counseling with uh, the therapist Rochelle Anderson, that she interrogated her week after week. Um, Attempting to force her to uh, to confess to child abuse, so it is in the record. Um, she, uh, she's also made. We, um, I believe that. Um,
1: All right. So you've got a situation where she never actually invoked the privilege, right? Correct. Um, and there's no allegation that she did. And you've got an allegation that she was told she had to confess, right?
0: Correct. But I believe under the under the. Um, under the procedural posture in, uh, in, excuse me, in a, in um, responding to a motion twelve B, um, right. the right. court has to accept the factual allegations as true. So we are um, we are alleging that this is what occurred that she was forced to um, admit to child abuse and the fact that she didn't the the, the appellees then. Um, prevented her from complying with the state ordered case plan, and one of the objectives was to participate in family therapy. And the it's our allegation that they thwarted that um, possibility by not allowing her to do so unless she confessed to, to allegations of abuse, which she she didn't do.
1: Um, the orders that were attached as uh, the. Uh um, append- uh, the uh, the um, exhibits um, talk about undergoing uh, a psychological evaluation, parenting assessment, cooperating with uh, um, um, sort of the, uh, reunification with the family, uh, counseling, and therapy, right? Correct. Okay. Those are before the court, and we can consider that.
0: I'm, I'm sorry. Not, I'm not. Those sorry. are
1: before the court, and we may consider those, right?
0: Because uh, they're,
1: they're they were attached, right?
0: Right. You 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 um you certainly can, Your Honor. Um, I just want to point out to the fact that I believe in uh, the first amend uh, first amended complaint at um, paragraph seven, excuse me, <laughs> like paragraph seventy. We do allege that the uh the appellee, the social worker, Libra, she conceded to the district court that Miss Nordgren had substantially complied with all stated objectives of the case plan except for one, and the one being that she did not participate in family therapy. It's our allegation that but for the actions of the appellee, they uh, thwarted her ability to participate in that state, that objective, um, and thus, ultimately, depriving her of her fundamental rights to uh, maintain her family. So that, so. Um, Apart from that, she complied. It's it's at, I believe, paragraph 70 of the first amendment, excuse me, first amended complaint that she had substantially complied with every object, stated objective but one.
2: Could I ask one, one additional question? You may. Um, so uh, I want to get back to Judge Malloy's point because it's extremely important, which is if she... Um, would you agree that if they said to her, please apologize to your kid for your behavior, mm-hmm. that that would not be incriminating? So if she said, I apologize for my behavior. Right. But if she says, I apologize because I abused you, you know, I, I, you know, I physically or mentally or emotionally abused you, mm-hmm. I think you're suggesting that it's the latter, not the former, Correct. Correct. Okay, and that's a different case. Okay, I just wanted to be sure of what we were dealing because actually in the record it's not all that clear. When you look at the determination of parental rights order itself and stuff, it's not clear what they actually asked her to do.
0: Correct, and as we pointed out, that and, and as the as the district court pointed out, these references were not um, explicit, so there was no, uh, and that's why we say that she never the the. the uh, appellant never had the real opportunity to s- submit this argument before the court. That there was a potent sanction before her. It, she didn't. We we argued that she did not. She is not well versed in the law. She has a high school diploma. Um, so she did not; she was not aware of her Fifth Amendment rights. So when she was interrogated week after week, she did not know that that was a violation of her Fifth Amendment rights. And so um, that that goes to our argument. But um, well,
3: I let me can I ask a question? You may. Uh, but you started out by saying she never said anything incriminating. She did so, so what difference does it make whether she was not speaking because of her Fifth Amendment rights or she was not speaking? For some totally unrelated reason, she still didn't incriminate herself.
0: Well, Your Honor, uh, I did go. I did uh, um, present earlier the, the fact that uh, we have this penalty exception where she doesn't have to make one self-incriminating statement at all. But the 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 Fifth Amendment right is um, the Fifth Amendment is is um, breached when you have the state coercing a person as in the case we allege, that week after week you have to confess to child abuse before you can um, uh, have uh, the right to participate in family therapy to obtain or regain custody of your kids back. And if you don't, you're never going to get that chance. That is a violation of the Fifth Amendment right. Um, Regardless Regardless of, of this argument, um, we can bring it under the Fourteenth Amendment, which is her substantive, uh, dupe, substantive and procedural due process rights. Um, uh, for, you know, under the 19th, 1983, um, uh, uh, under color of state law, where they've violated her, they stripped her of her fundamental right to maintain her family, and so. Uh, they've utilized these um, illegal tactics. Uh, We've alleged that the social worker has no authority under state law to uh, uh, direct a third-party agency, third-party such as the Nystrom practitioners, to direct her to to get a forced confession before she participates in family therapy. Okay.
1: I, I understand. Thank you. I have one question. When did you first assert the penalty exception,
0: Your Honor? Uh, the district court, in its order um, on the on the defendant's motions to dismiss, for the first time brought it up. the The never brought it up, so it was brought up, and we challenged that in our motion to um, in our in our Rule fifty nine e motion. That was when Is it was. Is that brought
1: sufficient, up. in your opinion, to preserve the issue on appeal?
0: Well I would say that it was it was not brought up to our attention and none of the appellees brought it up so the fact that the court did did address it in its order and we did respond to it and challenge it on the rule on the rule 59e um, motion I, I would believe that we
2: did preserve it Isn't just a follow-up isn't that uh isn't the penalty exception something you have to bring up? It's your claim for relief. It's your, I mean, you're saying it violated the self incrimination clause. Why would they bring up something that helps your client? Um, well,
0: because I guess um, if the argument was never brought up that she would have to invoke it, um, clearly, clearly. She didn't clearly in this case. She didn't. She did not have to invoke her. Um, there, there are two parts to this argument. The the first is that she has to um, for for her to make a claim of a Fifth Amendment um, right. She has to invoke it. However, under the penalty uh, exception, she doesn't have to do it. We're, we're there's a sufficient uh, a wide breadth of case law in the Minnesota case law that says she doesn't have to do it. We, we, we don't have to assert that she would have to invoke it if the case law says that if the, if the state is wielding this potent sanction, that you're going to be a- stripped of your, your rights to maintain your family. So
1: let me get this right, though. Your argument is that you don't have to assert it when you assert the privilege, right? which actually was never asserted here at any point while the proceeding was still going on. But second, that any time that a United States district court at any point just says, hey, you know, uh, the plaintiff never raised X, but even if they have, X is a loser. Then now all of a sudden you've resurrected X so that X can be your primary argument on appeal.
0: Um. I don't quite understand your question, Your Honor. Can you rephrase it?
1: Well, ordinarily, we say that in order to preserve an issue, you have to raise it. Mm -hmm. But district courts oftentimes write opinions that say, the plaintiff raised issue one and issue two. Now, they've never raised three. But if they had raised three, it would still fail. Mm Okay. Does that make issue three a viable issue on appeal, in your opinion,
0: Your Honor? Um, again, as I indicated, the, the her Fifth Amendment uh, violation is is uh, her. Um, Civil and constitutional claims does not rise or fall on the, her Fifth Amendment rights being violated. She also has a fundamental right to, to have her family intact. Now we can argue uh, that under under the underlying uh, actions here to coerce her to 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 um, violate her Fifth Amendment rights. Um, uh, we're, were part and parcel in stripping those rights, but she has claims under the uh, substantive due process as well as the procedural due process rights, which is that um, the, the, these were not legitimate, um, excuse me, these were not legitimate Uh, justification to advance a government government objective, which is
1: to... Which is ultimately reunification of the family. I understand. Very good. Thank you very much. I appreciate your argument. Ms. Harmon, when you're ready...
4: may it please the court. My name is Shannon Harmon with the Hennepin County Attorney's Office. I represent the Hennepin County defendants' appellees in this matter. Appellants, counsel just told you that she has a fundamental right to have her family intact. She also indicated that but for the actions of appellants, she would be deprived, She was deprived <clears throat> of her parental rights. And she made that clear, that that's the point of her case. And that's important here, Your Honors. Between 2011 and 2015, Hennepin County received numerous reports that appellant was harming her children. And Hennepin County intervened. Ultimately, on October 23, 2017, the state district court issued a TPR order terminating appellant's parental rights. This order was a 45-page order explaining in detail for numer- the court's numerous reasons for terminating appellant's parental rights. The order came following a seven-day trial that included 18 witnesses, 46 exhibits, and in which appellant was represented by counsel, who objected regarding the Fifth Amendment and in which the Fifth Amendment was addressed by the state court judge. This very argument, Your Honors. Appellate went on to make numerous untimely challenges to the state order at all levels of state court. And unhappy with those results, appellant now wants the federal court to cure her alleged harms. And what are her alleged harm, harms, Your Honors? She has told you numerous times today is that but for the actions of the appellees, she would have her children, her rights, her parental rights would not have been terminated. Appellee, Hennepin County appellees... Challenge this appeal on three primary bases today. First, this appeal is untimely. Second, the Rooker-Feldman doctrine bars uh, federal jurisdiction. And third, appellant has failed to state a claim regarding any of her claims, specifically as to the Fifth Amendment, as determined by the district court. As to untimeliness, last week this court um, asked the parties to be prepared to talk about uh, whether the notice of appeal is untimely or is timely. It is not, your honors. Uh, as the court knows, and so this court does not have jurisdiction. As the court knows, a party has 30 days from a final judgment or order to appeal. The judgment in this case is dated September 1st, 2021. The notice of appeal is dated April 29th, 2022, far beyond the 30
2: days. Let's get to the to the meat of the issue, which is yes, you, heard, you heard counsel say that um, Rule 60B is not on the table. That would have been another way to toll this, but she said, no, this was not a Rule 60B motion. Um, But she does say pretty strenuously, or argue pretty strenuously, this was a proper Rule 59, and a Rule 59-E motion does toll as well. So tell me why this wasn't a Rule 59.
4: That's right, Your Honor. Ultimately, a Rule 59-E motion, a motion to amend or alter judgment, requires that the uh, motion be based on either new evidence, new arguments um, that the party could not have known about, things that couldn't have been brought up before. Yet, if you look at this particular motion, Your Honor, it is styled as a Rule 50E motion, titled a Rule 50E motion. But as Judge Tunheim found and explained thoroughly, this was not based, the motion was not based on any new evidence or new arguments. In fact, in numerous places in the motion, appellant pointed to spots in her prior briefs uh, where she had already made arguments. She went so far as to do that, and Judge Thunheim pointed that out as a key um, uh, hint that this was not a Rule
2: 59 motion. That's fair. What about the motion to amend the complaint? There's a footnote in his order where he says, you know, this looks like another imp- improper way to amend the complaint. You heard opposing counsel say, no, I wasn't trying to do that here, or I didn't do that here. What is your view of the motion? Was she trying to amend the complaint again in that Rule 59 motion?
4: I believe that she has tried to amend the complaint in nearly every filing that she's made. Um, so I think she has, every time you point something out that's wrong with an with a claim, um, she asks, oh, well, can I amend and add this person and, and do this? Um, so in essence, maybe she was trying, but she didn't do it properly, and Judge Tunheim made that clear. And she's not doing it properly here um, by asking to be able to amend the complaint. And I will note that one of the reasons why the rules require seeking leave to make a, a motion to amend a complaint is because um, you need to be able to redline your complaint and show the par- show the other parties what you're as- actually asking to be changed. We are still guessing here. Um, again, and your honors, again, this was in substance um, a motion to reconsider. Uh, and Judge Thunheim found that the substance won the day here and that, in fact... this was not a tolling motion. This one, was a motion to reconsider.
2: One last question. Procedurally on appeal, I, I, I looked at the docket on this. You filed a motion to dismiss, an administrative panel of this court dealt with it. But my understanding is procedurally, none of the briefs, or at least your brief, had not been filed at the time of the motion to dismiss. Had, was this pre-briefing for Hennepin County, or had you already filed your appellate, appellee's brief?
4: I'm sorry, at the time that we filed our motion to Your motion to
2: Did had you, had you engaged in briefing yet, or I, was this pre-briefing? I don't
4: believe so, Your Honor. Okay. And that's why we are raising it again, um, is because it appeared that it wasn't addressed substantively, and it appeared that perhaps the court wanted to allow the parties to address the substantive arguments. Thank you. And the motion to reconsider um, also was not pursuant... Filed properly pursuant to local rule seven point one, and Minnesota district court has found that that makes it a nullity, uh, as if the motion didn't exist. So it certainly couldn't then toll. And um, the four the courts the district court's four fifteen twenty two order denying the motion for reconsideration also cannot um, uh, toll the deadline. And your Honors, um, my time is running short here. Before I will defer to. Um, my co-defendants, but I want to mention the Rooker-Feldman doctrine. Um, The Rooker-Feldman doctrine, if the court finds that this was a timely appeal, the Rooker-Feldman doctrine precludes jurisdiction. Um, The district court limited its holding on Rooker-Feldman, dividing between the TPR order itself um, and the Things that happened in therapy, but as appellant has told you today, very clearly, the basis of all of her claims is that her parental rights were wrongfully terminated. Um, the relief SALT is, in fact, invalidation of the state court decision. I know she told you today that that is not what she is seeking. But in order to grant her the relief that she is seeking, this court needs to find that the needs to would need to invalidate not only the state court decision, the district court's decision, but the court of appeals and the Minnesota Supreme Court. Um, and hold that her rights should not, or that her parental rights should not have been terminated, because that is her ul- her ultimate claim. Finally, as to...
2: Is that really her ultimate claim? I just got to gotta challenge you on this, because I think if she were challenging the TPR, you'd be absolutely right. You cannot appeal that to, uh, to the district court. But here, I think she's saying, no, what the problem was is I was either, I was forced to choose between my kids and self-incrimination. And I think that's a claim that survives... Uh, the Rooker Feldman doctrine, because she's saying I had independent harm from that. I'm not trying to get my kids back, but by being forced to make this sort of Hobson's choice, that's the harm.
4: For two reasons, Your Honor, that does not save save her under Rooker Feldman. Rooker Feldman addresses both direct and indirect challenges to state orders. While she will stand, has she stand, stood up here and said she doesn't want the order validated. She just, she's not asking for her kids back in order to uh, to award her anything the court's going to have to find that that order was wrong, that she should not have lost her kids, that she would not have lost her kids but for allegedly being asked to admit to um, harming her children. Um, But as Judge, Judge Moore at the state district court addressed this so that is another reason why Rooker Feldman applies is because you not only would have to invalidate the termination of the parental rights but one of the key re- or one of the reasons addressed by the court she raised the Fifth Amendment argument at this stage
2: just to can I ask one more question the, this is an important part of Saudi basic um, are we really talking about collateral estoppel or race judicata here what the court said is the time that Rooker the Supreme Court what, the time that Rooker Feldman does not apply, is when ordinary collateral estoppel or race judicata applies. And it seems to me you're arguing she raised it before she lost it. She can't raise it again here. And that's not a Rooker-Feldman issue.
4: Your Honor, um, I haven't honestly thought of the collateral estoppel argument. Um, Yes, she mentioned it it there. Um, I'm not sure if that's a collateral estoppel. It could be. Um, That could be another reason. But I really do think she's ultimately asking the federal court to review directly or indirectly. And she's saying today, basically indirectly, review a state court decision to terminate her parental rights. Because she's saying they wouldn't have been terminated but for these alleged requests to admit something. But there were a variety of other reasons that the court gave.
1: All right. Thank you very much. Ms. Neergarden.
5: Good morning, honors. Uh, My name is Julian Nierengarten. I'm here on behalf of Nice Nystrom and Associates, Rochelle Anderson, and Suzanne Bingi. I only have a few minutes with you today, um, so I want to quickly address two issues that apply to the Neistrom, specifically to the Nystrom defendants and to Defendant Craig Rice. Um, uh, the first is that uh, Appellant has waived any argument that the District Court wrongfully uh, dismissed her federal claims against. Nyström and Rice by not raising the issue in her opening brief, um, and this is—I I, want to be really clear about this—the operative complaint in this matter is the first amended complaint, and that's the pleading on which the district court based its dismissal. Uh, appellate never moved to amend that amend the complaint. She asked in briefing um, repeatedly, but you know, as the case law we've cited in our brief uh, tells us, asking in a brief is not sufficient. You have to bring the motion. You have to provide the proposed amended complaint um, for the exact reasons that Ms. Harmon noted earlier to be able to tell what the new claims or new allegations are. Um, In her opening brief, appellant spends less than four pages arguing that the district court made the wrong decision on the actual record before it and spends the bulk of her briefing arguing that she should have been permitted to amend her complaint despite not having moved to do so. Um, In that four pages of argument, she only argues that the district court wrongfully um, dismissed her 14th Amendment due process claims under Section 1985 against the county defendants and never argues that um, it wrongfully dismissed her Section 1983 claims against Nystrom and Rice. Um, And that, therefore, waives any argument on appeal that, that we were wrongfully dismissed from this action. The second issue I want to raise with you today is that if the court is inclined to consider whether she properly pleaded that Section 85 claim, she has not um, actually pleaded sufficient allegations to, to, um, for that claim to, to withstand a Rule 12 motion. Um, she, would need to, uh, she would have needed to have alleged that more than one party reached an agreement to conspire based on some class-based discriminatory animus, Uh, for the purpose of depriving her of equal protection, and that that at least one of these conspirators acted in furtherance of that conspiracy, and she was thus injured or deprived of a constitutional right. Uh, Absent a constitutional violation, there is no actionable conspiracy as we've talked about, or you, you've talked about with the other attorneys who've presented so far, extensively, there's no there's no constitutional violation here. She, she never invoked the Fifth Amendment. She never incriminated herself. She was never um, charged for any actions she admitted to. The penalty exception, as Your Honor noted, is not a viable argument for her on appeal. And even if it were a viable argument, she, um, she it doesn't apply in this case. I note that my time is up. If the court has any questions, I'm happy to answer. Otherwise,
1: I will. Cede Thank you very much, Ms. Ms. Beauchamp. Good
6: morning. Good morning. My name is Rachel Beauchamp. I represent Appelli Craig Rice, and I am here on behalf of law firm Cousin O'Malone. Malone. Mr. Rice is in a substantially different position than literally anyone else in this lawsuit. He never met Miss Nordgren, never treated Miss Nordgren, never had any contact with Ms. Nordgren, never spoke with Miss Nordgren. His sole relationship to this litigation at all is that he was the appointed therapist for her children, completely separate from her. He was a witness solely as to his role as the children's therapist. So... Even if there was some sort of conspiracy, which there was not, he is way over here, and there's nothing in the fact that even brings him in with the rest of this. Regardless of that, he's in the case. We have the arguments. We brought our motion to dismiss The first point I'd like to hit is that any request to amend her complaint, however framed during this process, was procedurally improper in every different way. Both It didn't follow the rules. It never provided a copy of any specific amended complaint. It literally never even stated in any briefing or oral argument a specific articulable revised allegation of any kind. It was simply endless, I will, if you do this, do this. So it's not, it never happened. She never moved to, it didn't happen, it can't be before the court. Judge Thunheim properly dismissed it, sorry, properly denied it, and then even moved on to the merits and found it futile. I would like to take one minute to address the moral and legal issues with a formerly TPR'd parent attempting to stand as next friend to children who have been removed for their protection and placed with a new family for their permanency and the importance of their growth and best interests. Any decision that would ever allow such a position would interfere with state courts jurisdiction over family matters and it would be improper from both a moral and a legal standpoint to allow someone to reintroduce themselves to the lives of children who have been placed in a new family for their own protection. But
2: you, you know, I used to be a state court judge, and you heard what she said. She said very clearly, I am not looking for that. Um, we have a con- clear concession today. I'm not looking to be reunited with my children. All I want is damages for you know for what happened to me at the at the uh, at the state court that seems to me to not present any of the issues you're raising
6: and your honor i guess i would disagree that that's what she's claiming because she's asked to stand as next friend and bring bring claims on behalf of those children a position that's only allowable for someone who is acting As and for those actual individuals, regardless of what she says about money damages, every aspect of this case is about getting back to those children. And the claim for next friend was raised when my client raised the fact that she has no standing to speak for or on behalf of those children anymore. And she promptly changed and said oh, I'm not bringing the claims for myself for them. I'm bringing them for my former children. She is asking this court for that exact kind of contact and has stated that in her reply brief, where she stated they have an ongoing, lasting connection. And I'm not here to dispute that. I have two children adopted through foster care. A biological parent has that. But legally, there's no basis for that. And all case law confirms that.
1: Very good. Thank you. Thank you. Anderson.
7: Good morning, Your Honors. Emily Anderson, Assistant Attorney General, on behalf of Jody Harpstead, the Commissioner of Human Services. As you've heard today, the Commissioner is sued solely in her official capacity in this case. And as we've talked about at length, Ms. Nordgren seeks only damages in her prayer for relief So the commissioner is entitled to sovereign immunity. Ms. Nordgren has not actually challenged that legal fact at any point in this case. So the commissioner was correctly dismissed from this case. The only question that involves the commissioner at all that remains then is this complaint amendment issue. As my friends have already said today, Ms. Nordgren never made that motion. She never made a procedurally proper motion. And as you've heard today, the Commissioner was not involved in the child protection matter and at all in any case. So any amendment to add her in her individual capacity would be futile in any case. The judgment of the district court as to the commissioner should be affirmed in its entirety.
1: Thank you. Do you have any questions for Ms. Yang? Mike, do you have any questions for Ms. Yang? I'm the matter has been fully briefed and argued. Uh, you have not reserved any time for rebuttal. We'll go ahead and uh, take the case under advisement. Thank you very much for uh,